So this is actually something that I believe has helped my recovery. And through investing in female founders, I've opened up this whole massive world that I didn't know about. I've met loads of other amazing female investors, VCs. I've thought about getting into VC, set up Female Founders Rise. So I've taken off all the pressure from the work stuff in terms of no one's expecting anything from me. No one's paying me for anything. I'm actually giving. Welcome to the Brave Bold Brilliant podcast. I am here today with Emma Faust, who is the founder of Female Founders Rise. But not more than that, she's a working mum, she's an entrepreneur, she's got so much going on in her life that we are going to have a fantastic conversation. So nice to see you, Emmy. Thanks so much, Jeanette, for inviting me onto the podcast. I'm super excited to be here and also to learn from you as well. Because I can I, I know I've just been we've been having a quick chat, haven't we? And You've also got an amazing background. I don't know how much I'm going to learn from you, but I love meeting new people who are doing great things. So thanks so much for having me. You are welcome. And we managed to actually coordinate diaries pretty fast, which is amazing given how busy we both are. So no, this is this is meant to be. It's meant to be, Emmy. It so, is. Listen, Emmy, I obviously know a bit about your background and, and sort of where you started from and where you are now and some of the great things you're doing. But do you mind just sharing that with everyone that's listening or watching on YouTube? Because I think it'd be really helpful just to set the context, if you don't mind. Yeah, I'll try and do a whistle-stop tour because it's been quite a long lot going on. Um, I always start with I've got four kids because I think that's like my biggest achievement. They are amazing, but it's full on. It's a lot of work. And it's incredibly challenging sometimes. Um, but before I got four kids, when I was 25, I set up my first business with a guy called Ed. Um, at that point, you know, when you sort of come out of university, and you don't know what you want to do um, and you just end up in some job that's like totally not you. I ended up in the gambling industry. It was right at the beginning when like online poker and online sports betting and everything was brand new. Um and I had this job and we were sort of like flying around the world, going to conferences and having a great time. And it was perfect for like a 25 year old. But that sort of got me stuck in an industry that I didn't really necessarily love or want to be in. But anyway, that's how it all started. Um, we set up an agency. We were the first sort of people that really understood the gambling gaming industry. And so our agency took off overnight. We were profitable from day one and working with people like Sky and poker stars and William Hill and Bet365 and all those kind of companies. Um, whilst we were, so that's when we were 25, we set that up overnight with a guy that I'd once worked at in an agency. Um, I didn't know him at all, really. Um, we went to an awards dinner, had a few drinks and decided let's just set up an agency because we thought there's some money in it. Um, and there was because we ended up doing really well. Um, whilst we were there doing that, so that was a media agency, um, if we saw opportunities in the market, we'd sort of test them out on the sort of side. And if we thought it could become something viable, we'd set up um, a new business. So we did that quite a few times. Um, also, whilst we were doing that sort of test and learn, we had a business called Gaming Alerts, which we went on Dragon's Den with. We got the biggest single investment ever at the time from Theo, £200,000. Um, and that business then ended up failing actually a year later, but that was fine because we were still doing all our other stuff. Um, and to cut a very long story short, after about 10 years, we exited three businesses all at different times, um, all for different amounts of money, all to different people, but basically sort of got rid of all that. And that was great because I really didn't feel the love for the gambling stuff. And I felt like I was stuck in this. Interestingly, the people were really nice that worked in the industry, but like I just didn't have that passion for that. Um, went 
very short stint at Google, six weeks, realized I wasn't going to see my kids, was also in the gambling industry there. Was like, no thanks, I've had enough of this. Sold one of the businesses while we were there, which meant I didn't need to work. Um, if I didn't want to, but I love working, so I did want to work. Um, and I started consultancy. Actually, didn't really know what to do with myself, to be honest, but trained to be a Pilates teacher, got bored, did some consultancy. And to be honest, that didn't like fill me with joy. But that's like an eight, eight year period of consulting for all kinds of people. Did a bit in the travel industry for Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Lots, mainly sort of service-based businesses and lots of early stage businesses where I was sort of helping to set them up for success. Because as you'll probably know, Jeanette, it's very easy to waste money, especially if you don't understand like marketing and how it all works and you don't get the right agencies. So really my role as this consultant was to set people up for success with their marketing and growth. Um, But in summer last year, so that was summer 2022, I'd been ill for quite a while. I just had a breakdown and had long COVID. The consultancy work was doing me zero favours. Um, and I just decided that I was going to do what I felt really passionate about, which was invest in female founders, because there's lots of reasons that we need to focus on female founders. Um, and also, I had this idea for ages to set up this kind of platform or hub or resource, which is like the go to resource for female founders, came up with this idea like overnight called Female Founders Rise, because it's all about like us rising together. Um and sort of just set it up I set up a LinkedIn company page so I was do what I tell founders like don't spend loads of money creating websites and branding before you've actually spoken to your customers so I set up a LinkedIn page which is free got a Google form which just said you know what's your name what stage of business are you at what are you looking for help with would you like to get emails weekly emails and information um and that was the start of Female Founders Rise and we're now Five months later, we've got nearly one and a half thousand members, over 3,000 followers on LinkedIn. And it's just like totally taken off, which is exciting. Wow, Wow, that's fantastic. Sorry, did I talk too much? Was that too long? (laughs) Not at all, not at all. We're going to dig into some details as well, Amy, because you've had such an amazing, like, interesting journey, you know, in terms of personal life, business, startup, you know, the whole diversity and inclusion and, you know, sort of gender diversity in particular, being on the Dragon's Den, there's lots for us to talk about. But I just want to go back a little bit because you said you started your first business at 25, um, which is pretty young, actually, to start start a business. Um, and I love the fact that you, <laughs> that you just kind of met someone at, at an event and thought, hey, let's just do this. So, you know, naivety, as opposed to a certain extent. Total naivety. I mean... <laughs> barely knew this guy um he, it, interestingly so I've been working in the gambling industry for uh, an operator in G- Gibraltar which is where they will you know a lot of them are based and this guy worked in an agency and was doing some marketing for us and I then decided to come back to the UK he'd invited me to this sort of industry dinner you know like how your agencies always would sort of like you know take you out for lunches and take you and we were sat next to each other and we were basically talking about this job that we both applied for and we were and this company was going to spend I don't know what it was two million quid on marketing we were like well the standard agency fees were like 15 percent. so we were like well that's 300 grand in fees why don't we just say so you don't need to pay us the salary we will do your marketing and your media for you and we'll take the 15 percent, which was 300 grand which was way more plus we could you know pull in some other you know brands as well 
And so that's basically how it started. I be- literally barely knew him. Um, but then about six months into it, I met my husband, who's his best friend. So ah. my whole life is like my whole four children and my life is sort of dependent on that night out, I think. I haven't really thought about that before, but it is the um, the award ceremony, whatever it was that we were at. Fantastic. Well, there's a, a bit of a sliding doors moment that may be there and, and it was just sort of meant to be, like you say, sometimes we gravitate to people for a reason, don't we? But um, so in those early, those early kind of formative years really of setting the business up, what was it about your partnership, you think, that worked so well? Because it was a risk, right? You could have been the polar opposite. You were successful. Massive risk. Yeah. What, what was it that made it work, do you think? I think we're sort of quite complementary in, so I'd had more of a background in maybe marketing and the operator side and Ed had worked in an agency. So that was quite complementary. Ed was really ballsy in terms of like, he could go out and like do pitches and, and I hadn't been doing that because I'd sort of worked in the client side. So I, I, I didn't have that kind of confidence of sort of just going out and pitching. So that was really good. And he quite often did a lot of that. My background was economics, accounting and law. So I'm like numbers, you know, on it with all the numbers. Totally could be like remembering anyone who owed us any money. Everyone prepaid us. We had sometimes we had like a million quid in the bank and prepayments from our clients. Um, I always had the eye on the money and what was going on there. Um, Ed was more sort of media, I was more marketing. So we sort of had these quite complementary skill sets, I suppose, without even realizing it. Ed had done a lot more of the digital stuff. I'd done quite a bit more, and he'd n- never really done anything um, sort of offline in terms of things like the magazines and the press and stuff like that. And I'd done a bit of that. So I picked that up. And that's kind of just how it came about. Ed definitely had more contacts with the potential clients because he'd been working in an agency and also his m- mum was sort of in the industry and knew lots of people so yeah I think it was just that and also the fact that we were so young it meant we didn't have any commitments really in terms of family or mortgages or you know we paid ourselves like a grand a month you know the minimum for like the first four or five months we literally had our laptops that's all you need we needed a laptop um we hired some office space I think for like 250 quid each desk or something really cheap from the company that I used to work for before they were really nice so they let us hire a bit of office space and you know we just got started and it was easy um and then quite quickly we started making money so we started paying ourselves um a bit more but we were never in that kind of situation where we had so many overheads both of us that we're like well we can only start this if we can take home six grand a month or something you know yeah, well, there's a lot of lessons in this because obviously people that are listening to this might be in a similar situation where you're thinking, actually, I want to start something, but I don't want to do it on my own. I want to get in, you know, get in partnership with someone. So I think, you know, what you're saying around be clear about what each of you brings to the to the party, I think is important. And don't just get it, get in bed with someone that's exactly, you know, the, the same as you. You want those complementary aspects, don't you? And uh, and the other thing that as you were talking, Emmy, that really stuck out for me was around just get going. You know, don't yeah. overthink, don't overthink it too much. Just make a start it's great to have a plan and I'm a massive planner myself I always think be clear on where you're heading but actually at certain times it's just good to get going and kind of you know grow your wings as you as you're on the way down almost you know and actually evolve a business so I think that's a great that's a great lesson there in terms of what you just shared but let me let me just ask you around your entrepreneurial spirit right because 
you you touched on the fact that you did a very short stint at Google and that probably didn't work out mainly mainly because the family situation as well and, and kind of trying to, we're going to talk about being a working mum as well. But in terms of entrepreneur versus corporate, um, you're clearly very entrepreneurial, but you can operate in that in that corporate environment because you know you 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 have. But what that entrepreneurial spirit that you have, did you always have that in you? Do you think, or did that come from I don't know, family background, parent situation? Because uh, a lot of people, I think, um, it's quite interesting actually, isn't it? I was talking to someone about this day. So I grew up without a television. My sister-in-law was just asking me because you know how all the kids watch so much telly and we all grew up up with that television and she was asking me if you know that had like defined the way that we are but so we grew up with that television my dad was a doctor my mum was was a nurse and then was staying at home looking after us I always remember being with big family of four I was kind of like I think there was a stage maybe between sort of like 11 and 14 15 where I was quite bored um and I got my first job at like 14 in a cafe and Half of me hated it because you have to sort of shout out the number of the baked beans and the chips or whatever. And, you know, you're quite embarrassed. You're 14 and you're shouting out number 54 or whatever. But I did <laughs> love that I got the money, you know. So I used to go on a Sunday, I used to do six hours on a Sunday and get 20 quid, which at the time was quite a lot of money. Um, so I think I liked that because it kept me busy. And then when I was 18, um. I basically told my parents I wanted to move to London to work and they were like well you haven't got any money in the bank account so how are you gonna do that I was like nope nope I'm gonna do it my uncle let us stay in his flat and basically I didn't have enough money I didn't have enough money to um you know to sort of do anything but I somehow found this job um there was the, the these people at Victoria train station asking you if you wanted to enter a competition to win a free photo shoot do you remember those? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you'd enter the photo shoot and then, you know, someone would win the competition, but everyone else would win a photo shoot, but then you buy the photos kind of thing. Um, and basically they said, yeah, you can start tomorrow if you want. And I literally remember just running around Victoria train station, getting, you know, 125 people a day to fill in this thing. And I got something like £1.50 for everyone. And I was making like 150 quid a day or 100 quid a day. Um, you know, age 18, because I was just like, well, I'm just going to run around and get as much money as possible. And so I had like two weeks where I was waiting to be paid, where I had like nothing, but I was making 600 quid a week. And then slowly that money came in. And then I got into sort of like promotional work and I sold credit cards, you know, another horrible thing. But, I, you know, you're just, I was just working and I would work at like Ideal Home Exhibition and all the shows and at the airports. And I made really good money. I did that all throughout university. I'd go up, go up to London at the weekends they'd pay for my travel to go to London so I could go and stay with a friend. And then on like the Saturday or the Sunday, I'd go and do, and, and I'd never do a whole day. I'd like, you know, I was meant to do sort of 10 till six or something. I'd probably turn off 11 and leave at five. But, you know, I still did. I still did enough that they were happy. Um, so I think, I think it was also like mum and even though dad was well paid, he wanted to put us all through private education. So we never had enough money. Um, we did have money, but it was just, all going into our education and I just remember money always being really tight and it being a conversation and I remember dad having a chat with me when I was like I think about 18 or 17 or something all about money and how you shouldn't get into debt and if you you know basically just the probably like the 101 of like how you should try and manage your finances which was actually really good um because 
it probably just made me realize that I need to work more than I spend. And he always used to say, if you're not working, you're spending money. <laughs> um, so I think it was maybe that's kind of work, work ethic and wanting to be independent, financially independent. And it's really interesting. What I've realized is the work that I'm doing now is really about helping women be financially independent and have that financial freedom. But I think that was like instilled in me from an early age. And then I think I realized that I enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy selling credit cards. I didn't enjoy, you know, a lot of those things that I was doing, but I really enjoyed some of the entrepreneur. I enjoyed running my own business. Yeah, and you were hustling. You were hustling. Yeah, hustling. Oh my God, hustling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember like when we had our agency, one of our clients wanted to run a cinema campaign in like, you know, England, Germany, Spain, France. I've never booked it in my life. I was like, yep, yep, we can do that. Found this really nice guy who worked at Pearl and Dean Cinemas. He helped me. They didn't end up booking all the European stuff, but they ended up booking like the premier sponsor slot in the UK for Casino Royale. And it was like, I don't know, it was something like 500 grand. And I made 70 grand in an afternoon. And I was just like, oh, perfect. That was, <laughs> yeah, that was easy. But I was just like, I'm going to hustle for this. We're going to do it, you know, Um but it's all, it was all worth it. Fantastic. So let's let's talk about the, the sort of the your confidence then, because you know we're we're gonna we're gonna chat more about women in business and kind of female founders and all of that good stuff. And I think very often, you know, a lot of women they they struggle to to kind of put themselves out in the world. They worry about you know what other people think, what other people say. I don't I don't feel like I belong. You know, imposter syndrome, all of that kind of stuff. So anyone hearing you speak now will probably think, oh, Emmy's got it all covered, right? She's super confident. She's out there. She's, she's you know, she's done all this kind of great stuff. But let's talk about confidence and how that might have changed for you over the years. Or maybe it's not changed and you all were always very kind of, you know, confident putting yourself out to the world. Because um, I think it's an interesting topic and one that we really need to support each other with, actually. Not just mm. men, not just women, men as well. But in particular, I think I see it in a lot of women that don't have the confidence or the self-belief as much as they really should because they're all amazing, right? So talk yeah. about you. So, you know, I don't think I had the confidence when I first set up my own business because I'd never done that before. It was my business partner who was used to doing the pitching and stuff, and I literally didn't have a clue. So there was definitely no confidence then. Um, as I got to running the business and it was doing well, actually, I was really confident the one on Dragon's Day and everyone said, you know, you were the one that was really confident. It's because I really knew my stuff and it was all about the numbers, which I knew. And basically, I was just so confident in the idea that I was fine. Um, I think the confidence sort of came and went. So like, for example, when I sold my business, I didn't ever think that I'd done some amazing thing. I just, I, I never realized that I'd been really successful. And then I really lost my confidence when I went to Google and it didn't work out. And I sort of came out the other side and I was like, what am I going to do? You know, I've run businesses, but I'm not a marketing expert. I'm not a media expert. I'm not a particular expert at anything. And I really, really did lose my confidence. And I remember sort of going to networking and being totally scared and like massively underselling myself and not knowing what I was doing. And I'd say it's only been, and, and I remember talking to a coach and he said like, why aren't you telling everyone about all the amazing stuff you've done? Why don't you tell everyone you've been on Dragon's Den? I wasn't telling anyone any of that stuff. Why don't you tell people that you've made loads of money? And I was like, oh my God, but because I should be humble and I shouldn't talk about those kind of things. Um. So yeah, it's it's really interesting actually. And I think it's only recently like I've really found my voice and I'm just like, I'm just going to say it how it is. I'm going to do, I'm going to try and, say what I think a lot of people want 
to say and what I've wanted to say for a long time and I haven't been able to do. I think it's partly from being ill for like the last two years. I think it's partly from just being fed up of being treated in particular ways and just being like, this isn't okay. And I'm actually going to talk about it before I felt like I had to hide it. And I was always like, I just love to say that on LinkedIn, but I, I can't, I can't tell people the truth because what if there's a backlash or what if it, you know, what if it affects my consultancy work? Whereas now I don't care, like I'll say it and that there's, there's nothing to be affected. Um, and I think before I felt it, I felt like I had to keep my mouth closed. So I'd say I've definitely grown in confidence. I also now know that I'm amazing at what I do. I know because A, loads of people have told me, but B, I can, you know, say that before I could never say that you know yeah like I should be humble and I should be quietening myself and dimming my light and just being that person that's been really successful but never tells anyone um yeah fantastic well I mean it's it's refreshing to hear Emmy because I think a lot of people have those kind of highs and lows don't they Or, or events happen that can really knock your confidence even if you have been out there and been quite successful running things you know things have things change don't they you know and our situation changes maybe it's a relationship breakdown maybe it's having a, a baby maybe it's a business failing or what whole with menopause you know again I'm well I was gonna say yeah so I was gonna say the things that really affect women I believe and it really affects me is having a baby it's like you know you're at the top of your game you're like working really hard you're like you've got your role and then you have a baby and then you sort of come back and it's like oh how do I slot back in because someone else is doing what I was doing or I've forgotten or things have moved on that is a big one I think the menopause as well is huge I mean like this whole breakdown long COVID also started something with my hormones which like out the blue I basically I mean I'm on I'm on HRT now and I had to start that almost immediately when everything kicked off um which three months after I got COVID everything started going wrong um but you know I couldn't do anything I couldn't work I struggled to look after my kids I so lost my confidence I started you know first of all I could still do my work but it was taking me so long mentally to like do it And I just kept thinking, I really got the imposter syndrome, really got it. Like, are my clients not thinking I'm good enough? So, yeah, I think there's all these times as a woman that men don't have, having babies, perimenopause, menopause, that we lose our confidence. Or also just like, you know, going to Google and I put all this time and love and energy into getting a job and everyone was like, oh, my God, you've got a job at Google. And then suddenly six weeks later... I remember crying because, you know, my dream job was not my dream job. And you sort of feel like a failure because you've got to tell everyone your job at Google only lasted six weeks because you couldn't <laughs> it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, honestly, it's it's great to be able to talk about this stuff openly in part. You know, there's stuff going on with all of us, whether you're male or female, actually. Guys have a whole other kind of issues and challenges you know I mean you have to see a very high level of suicide rates you know and and from from young men don't you different social pressure etc so but I do think as as women we're probably slightly better at talking about stuff and I think to have you know like-minded people around you people that you can be really open and supportive whether it's a mentor or a coach or an organization like you've got because you know, the chances are someone else will will either be going through what you're going through or have done something similar, might be able to kind of give some advice. And 
And sometimes I think it's just helpful to offload. You're not necessarily looking for someone to fix it and give you the answers. You just want to be able to kind of talk it through. Um, you know, so let, let's talk about some of the things that, that you have found helpful for you, Emmy. You know, when you've had those times when, you know, your confidence has been knocked, you were obviously poorly, which had an impact. And now, obviously, you know, as you, as you said, sort of the menopause, early menopause coming in and, and HRT and stuff. But how have you managed to to kind of lift yourself out of that darker place uh, that you were in? Mm. Well, this is really interesting. I was actually thinking about like this today. I mean, I was like looking at my LinkedIn, which, which is sort of related. And before September, it was just like in terms of my activity. And then suddenly from September, it's like ding, 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 up here. And I was like, something has happened in the summer August September where literally it's gone from like nothing to like energy and excitement and lots of things happened and this is where I took control so in the summer first of all I decided to stop consulting because that was causing me a huge amount of stress and I also found this brilliant doctor who actually identified that it probably was long COVID and the the the, the things that make long COVID worse one of them is stress so I took the whole of the summer off and I stopped consulting. So that massively brought down my stress. I also started therapy, which was amazing. And I'm still speaking to a therapist every sort of three weeks to, to a month. But at the time I was doing it every week, I think, um, just to get me back on track out of this terrible, mm. you know, place where I just couldn't function. I started on anti-anxiety meds as well, which was amazing because it brought the stress down, which improved my long COVID symptoms. Um, I started obviously because I've been successful and had that money um, I sold a house that I bought which freed me up to have um, money to invest in female founders and that really just gave me so much joy you know so this is actually something that I believe has helped my recovery and through investing in female founders I've opened up this whole massive world that I didn't know about I've met loads of other amazing female investors VCs. I've thought about getting into VC, set up Female Founders Rise. So I've taken off all the pressure from the work stuff in terms of no one's expecting anything from me. No one's paying me for anything. I'm actually giving. And that's been giving, but with no need for anything back or no responsibilities, which has been huge for me getting better. Um, I found my why, you know, I found my passion. So like I'm now creating content and doing stuff that I love where I'm overwhelmed every day. I've had to put this like out of office on my LinkedIn, which basically says, thanks so much for getting touched. I cannot keep up with all the messages. They're li literally getting lost. But if you want to sign up to Female Founders Rise, here's how to do it. Because there's just so many people. I'm doing stuff with LinkedIn. I'm hoping to do stuff with Google. Um, I've got, you know, I want to basically help 10,000 women um, by the end of this year who have a grow a community of 10,000 women. Um, and so, so, so I did all that, which is basically obviously changed the things that were creating stress. Um, I've also been away quite a few times on my own. So I've used some of that money from selling my business um, because I needed to have a break. And I've been going to this brilliant wellbeing hotel and that's my husband's been an amazing support to me um, in, in encouraging me to do that. That has been kind of a game changer. Um, and just trying to set boundaries and trying to have more of a balance, really just trying to remember that my health is 
the only thing that matters because without my health I can't look after my family I can't do anything I can't do my work or anything and so putting boundaries in place saying no to things that aren't mission critical going to bed at like 10 o'clock um yeah just really trying to change everything and also I think one of the other big things which probably some people think is totally woo-woo but I think you might be on my vibe with this because you've said a few things I read this amazing book called The Universe Has Got Your Back and it basically this was when I was in the depths of you know the bad way and I knew all the time that I was going to get better I had a belief that I was going to get better and I had a belief that I would come out fighting and that I would come out doing something that's amazing and that is exactly what's happened it was a terrible time but I've taken everything I've ever learned all my life my last 20 years all my experiences and with the empathy and understanding of everything I've been through and I'm now doing what I absolutely love and it's flying and it's just feels like it was all worth it Oh my God, there's loads in there. That's fantastic. I mean, there's honestly because people listening or watching, you know, they, they may be going through, they'll be recognizing certain aspects of this in themselves and everyone's yeah. situation totally different right we're all we're all unique um you know there's only there's only one of you there's only one of me you know and, and so so whilst that is the case I think there are we can learn a lot from each other and and you know what I think the when you were talking I was thinking first thing is recognize what's going on right and and don't stay silent ask for help and and obviously you know you did that and you got help from the right you know whether it's medically whether it's psychologically whatever that help is whether it's surrounding yourself with the right people reading inspiring stuff you know, so so I think that whole piece, ask for help and surround yourself with the right people, that, that's a strength, not a weakness. Mm. Um, and then, you know, it, you said around finding your why. I'm a massive believer. If you know your purpose, you know, what I 100% believe I'm quite... I'm a bit woo-woo as well. Well, very woo-woo. So I do my visualizations. <laughs> I do, you know, I, honestly, I I genuinely, genuinely believe that if you raise your vibration, that you will attract stuff to you in a weird sort of way. And I think the law of reciprocity has an amazing magic to it. It's not about giving to receive, but if you put good out in the world, it will come back to you in some shape or form, you know. So I'm a massive believer in all that myself. But I think finding your why and your purpose and just feeling like, everything that you've gone through good and bad um you know highs the lows has led you to where you're meant to be I think is a is a really special place to be because some people never find it any and you clearly have and I think that is incredible and all credit to you seriously because you know you are inspiring not only you have you helped yourself and your family and you've got to put your own oxygen mask on first you're absolutely right but look at look at the reach you're having look how you're impacting thousands and tens of thousands and I'm sure millions of people's of lives longer term I think it's incredible Mm, hopefully that's the plan you know I want it to go global um eventually but I'm also like mindful of not putting too much pressure on myself but I also believe because I believe that I found my why and I'm where I'm meant to be I'm just surrendering to like what is going to happen and everyone keeps asking me what's your business model how are you going to make money you've got to make money it's like yeah of course I'm going to make money it's going to be successful but like right now I'm just listening to my audience talking to my community getting people on board and I'm not in you know a mass I'm not in a massive rush but actually all the things that like I want to happen are happening um I had you know this holistic session with this amazing woman about a year and a bit ago when I was kind of in not in a great place and 
this was when I wasn't working with women. I wasn't doing female founders rise. I wasn't investing in women. I was doing something totally different. And out of it came, she just said, this isn't going to, this isn't where you're going to be. She said, I can see you on stage, on stage with loads and loads of women. She said, you're going to be helping loads of women, inspiring them. She said, you know, today you've just been helping them with the business stuff, but it's going to be much more holistic than that. It's going to be the business, but it's going to be like understanding more than that and all the experiences you've had are going to play into that and I think you know female founders rise is obviously helping them with their businesses but it's also like we have an amazing well-being partner and we have free well-being sessions and stuff like that and it's just talking about the fact that it's not you know it's not just about the making the money you've got to be okay as a whole and and this woman was saying you know you're going to have a big following and you're going to do a lot of stuff for free for the people that need it but you are going to make money from it and you're going to be making money from the big corporates and you're going to so in this thing there's like like you said the visualization there's this whole thing and I was literally crying thinking this is what I want I mean this this would be like the dream I was doing something so different you know I was doing the consultancy and hating it and now I just see it all panning out and I'm like it's it's just happening you know I don't need to worry too much um, I'll just keep doing the stuff that, you know, that's helping people that I love doing. And I think all the rest is going to come. Yeah, 100%. I, I agree with you. I think if you chase the money, um, you don't necessarily get there or you certainly don't enjoy the ride. But if you if you really focus on the why you're doing stuff, lead with value, the rest will follow. The rest will exactly. follow. Exactly. 100%. It's a great book, actually, which you probably have read. But if anyone listening hasn't read it, I would recommend it. It's called Start With Why by Simon Sinek. It's a, it's a real classic book, but it's it's a very, very strong reminder as to why we need to put the why at the centre of what we do and not just for our own personal lives, but also from a business point of view, because that's when you have incredible loyalty. It's when you have raving fans. It's when people will buy your product service because they believe what you believe. So they buy it because of the why, not because of what you do. So Apple is one of the best examples of that, you know, so it's a great book. So anyone that's not read it, I'd highly recommend that. But um, absolutely follow your passion, find out what you're here, why you're here on this planet. What difference do you want to make, you know? So um, I'm, I'm absolutely loving that. So, Emmy, let me talk a little bit about it. would be remiss of us not to talk about your Dragon's Den um, experience as well. So what led you to even go on the show in the first place? And oh. Well, that's a good question so this was ages ago so I'm 45 nearly now and I think this is when I was 25 so it was like 20 years ago and it was really quite new and I just loved it um you know I said before I grew up without having a television and now I love television um and it was uh, that was just one of the programs I loved probably because I was quite entrepreneurial like you said and I thought I bet this is all just you know made up I bet this isn't real so for totally like probably had a couple of glasses one night I was 25 at the time wasn't I I was probably I don't remember but anyway I probably just on a whim was like I'm just going to apply um and so I applied and obviously I wasn't going to apply for the media agency because that was you know already ticking over but we'd had this little comparison site on the side and it hadn't made any money but I was like, I'm just going to use that because I'm not going to apply with the media agency so I went through the form I hadn't done a business plan or anything I mean I 24 hours just like our media agency, we literally, we had no media, we had no business plan. We just took action, boom, got going. Um, and so I remember going through the form and it sort of said like, how much money do you want? I was like 200 grand, literally just 
um then it said like how, how what percentage do you want to do that for so I said 10 percent building some money and then I sort of worked out what I need to sort of so 200 grand for 10 percent that means the business is worth two million quid but then I realized it had never made any money um so I was like that's okay so anyway I sent it off and then they said they they they, they came back to us and they're like yeah we'd like to talk to you or something so talk to them and then they came back to us again and they said we'd like you to come in and present to us so we went to present to them my my business partner really wasn't up for this because I just applied on on a whim for a bit of a you know laugh stroke is this thing real and then they, I think they sort of said oh I'm not sure we can put you through because it's a gambling thing but then we're like well it's the same as the national lottery you know everyone's playing bingo everyone's betting on the horses this is just you know a different way of 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 betting and and the, if people want to spend their money on bingo that's fine you know but it's not our decision to decide and then they obviously realize that most of the population are either doing the national lottery or betting in some way um and the next thing we knew we were going on you're on you're going on to dragon's den and we were like oh my god my business partner really didn't want to go on so that's why i was obviously the more competent one and so i had to basically generate some numbers that got us from being a business that had never made any money that was in its really early days to actually show that it was worth two million quid. And somehow I managed to do that. And it was all around saying, well, you know, the lifetime value of a customer is what is say like five or 600 quid. As an affiliate, as a comparison, it's like we're going to make two, two, 50, 40% of that. So we're going to make X. It costs us this amount to acquire a customer so far, you know, and I basically created all these really complicated sort of equations to show that the value is that the business was two million quid and I remembered how to do it and I basically like flipped the board over they didn't show this on Dragon's Den but I flipped the board over and I said look I'll show you got my sharpie pen did all these mathematical equations and out came two million quid so they were like oh gosh okay um the reality of it was of course I never thought it was worth two million quid it never made a penny but interestingly our friends who set something up at exactly the same time and their business didn't fail they ended up selling it for 10 million so exactly the same thing as us um so it could have easily been 10 million quid and actually they'd have had an absolute steal but um obviously you know our heart wasn't really in it and actually we made a big mistake with that business which I could tell you about um if you want me to um go for it tell us about the mistake and I don't want the to the big back yeah the dragons yeah <laughs> the big mistake was basically that um at the time a lot of people getting their traffic from Google this was the days of like SEO and it all being a very dark art and no one understanding really how SEO worked, especially not us. I mean, we weren't techie at all. We used an agency and supposedly the guy that ran the agency, I believed was really good because he was talking at all the big search engine conferences. Um, and because we didn't really know what was going on and we didn't know what was okay and what wasn't okay and that actually, you know, black hat stuff, linking, internal linking, all the sort of dodgy stuff to get yourself up to the top of the search engines was 100% not okay. But all the affiliates, the people that were, you know, driving traffic with these comparison sites, they were doing loads of stuff to try and, you know, manipulate the search engines or to get traffic. And so we were doing really well because our site was ranking for lots of, key search terms and I think basically they they did things which obviously in Google's eyes weren't allowed um we sort of probably knew that they weren't allowed but we didn't really understand you know it's like we didn't really understand SEO which is why we employed an agency so like obviously if they if we knew that we could lose our rankings overnight we'd have told them not to do it and we did we got penalized um probably by a competitor because everyone's trying to like you know 
get everyone else down. Um, and so we lost all of our traffic. So the big lesson from that is that even though you should use experts to help you grow your business and like we shouldn't we don't need to be SEO experts or PPC experts or PR experts or whatever thing you do need to have a really good understanding of what they're doing and you need to have a you know a holistic understanding so that you actually can manage the agency and I think that's where a lot of businesses go wrong they have so little understanding of what the agency is doing that they often get the wool pulled over their eyes Mm. Um, and that's what I found for example when I've done my consultancy in the past I, I can go in and if they've got 200 grand 300 grand 400 grand I could say ding 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 this to that you know spend this much on that channel this much on that oh you shouldn't be paying you know an agency five grand a month I could introduce you to someone for two grand a month but if you don't know you don't know and obviously we didn't know um but learning that an SEO agency could take your whole business from you overnight and basically that then led to the collapse of the business because we didn't have any income coming in um well first of all don't just rely on one channel because we were just relying on seo and secondly make sure you sort of if if you're only going to rely on one channel you need to really understand it you can't just give it to the hands of some experts without understanding that and also it's made me very wary of seo um today and you know i think i've really been able to help clients in fact i did one of my clients has had a similar situation, but I literally warned them day in and day out that this could happen. No one listened to me. That was the annoying thing. Um, and, you know, despite telling the board so many times about what happened to me, I've basically seen this happen with a client. Um, so, you know, it is still happening, but most clients that I work with would listen to me and would take that advice and therefore, you know, won't get themselves in that situation again. And I definitely mm. won't. Yeah, no, gosh, fantastic. Yeah, great, great watch out, actually, whether it's SEO or whether it's any other sort of big part that your business yeah. is. Yeah. So you need to know enough, don't you, to be able to challenge and understand. And also, I guess, have the right metrics and the right kind of visibility to see what's what's where the risks are and what have you and what the what the um what the data is telling you as well. But how did you feel when the business failed, Emmy? You know, you said you had all the embarrassed, things yeah. And so that's interesting. I didn't actually talk about the fact, you know, so Basically, I went on Dragon's Den and it's probably only been in the, that was 20 years ago. It's probably only been in the last five years that I've actually told anyone or even talked about it because yeah. for the first 10 years, I was embarrassed. I think my business partner was annoyed that we'd, you know, gone on it and wasted that time and that energy and that our focus had been taken a bit off the other business. Um, And was a, I think he was a bit like, you know, what a waste of time. Why did we ever do that? And, you know, getting, we end up having to move into an office, the same office as Theo, and that cost loads of money because, you know, we were in some really swanky Wimbledon office, which also wasn't a great location, which was like 10 grand a month or something for the rent. And then another like five grand a month in service charges, which was 15 grand a month to run, you know, our two startup businesses. And I think before we were probably spending a couple of grand a month. So, you know, it, it ended up costing us quite a lot of money because we had to make the move to the air wanted to be near us. And so I think the failure, it did feel a bit like a failure. And everyone kept saying, oh my God, you're on Dragonstone, you're on Dragonstone, how's it going? You have to say, oh, it's, you know, gone tits up, you know. And, and also I think I was embarrassed that we got penalized in Google and we didn't sort of cotton onto the fact that, we were doing something that in Google's eyes wasn't, you know, even though everyone was doing it, that's how affiliates were working. Everyone was doing this sort of black hat SEO. We didn't realize that it wasn't really okay. 
Um, and I think we hadn't understood enough about what the agency was doing. And we were paying them as well. We were paying them really good money. So I think I was a bit embarrassed about that. And at the time, it wasn't good to be a failure. You know, it's good. It's good now to have had a failed business. It's almost like if you've had a failed business, that's good because you've learned a lot and you're pivoted and he'll come back stronger. So people are saying, you know, you've got to fail and fail fast. And it's all there's lots of positive chat around failing now. But at the time, there wasn't. It was kind of like an embarrassment. Yeah, no, I can, I can, and, and also you put your heart and soul into into. This. Yeah, exactly. We've been on TV. We put ourselves <laughs> our head above the parapet, saying like, "Look at us." You know, we want to do something. Yeah. What was the response from Theo when it when it all started unraveling? Then how how did that play out? Well, you know, we'd moved into his offices. Also, we'd helped him hire. Um, I think one of the reasons he invested in us, first of all, I think I'm not sure if his wife played online bingo, but he saw that it was a big opportunity. But also, I think he really wanted to understand digital better, and we were like top of our game in digital. Um, so we helped him hire someone for Ryman's for his online business that then took off. And we were sort of in his office. So, you know, he was pretty good about it, actually. Um, I think there was a couple of mistakes and then that happened. Um, and what happened is I think like there's still like 30 or 40 grand left in the bank account. We're like, let's just shut the company down. You have the money back, Theo. And he gave it to his charity and, you know, businesses fail, don't they? So he'd put 70 grand in in the end, I think. Or no, had he put, no, he put 200 grand in. 30% of the business so he put 200 grand and he'd probably lost some money probably offset some of it um and 30 grand went to his charity and you know he was nice about it um we didn't see so much of Theo we saw more of his like right hand man yeah okay no it's just, I mean it is I mean the stats are pretty stark aren't they 90% of new businesses fell within the first three years right but as entrepreneurs you're kind of up for the challenge you find your passion and you believe you're going to be in the top 10 percent and sometimes you are sometimes you're not but you're absolutely right the approach to failing is so much um more healthy now I think than it ever was it's still not great I think there's a cultural difference as well between sort of in particular the UK and the US you know the US it's much more I think you know if you almost if your business fails you walk into the pub and you get a slap on the back and they'll say oh well done what did you learn whereas over here it's a bit more like Oh, right, because I'm a dirty secret almost. I best not talk about it. But it is changing. And I think that's great that we we share it, warts and all, because it's never failure, is it? It's always learning. Even if it's painful at the time, it's what's going to help you like move forward and probably go further next time. Um, mm. so, yeah, thank yeah. you. Because it is, it's really nice to, to have a refreshing conversation about these things, to be fair. Yeah, no, I think it's important. And I say like, you know, we're in Female Founders Rise Together, hopefully we can share, you know, we're going to fail together, but you're in that supportive environment. Also, we can learn from each other. Um, and hopefully, if you're part of that community, you're more likely to be one of the survivors after the three years, because, you know, we can all share what we've learned in a safe space, which I think is really important. And also, if things do go wrong to have, I think it's really important to have that support network. So you're not on your own when something mm goes wrong I mean I suppose also because I had Ed but we were running other successful companies I didn't feel like a total failure I was just like oh right that one's failed let's get on with this one that one was still making lots of money and doing really well so I think it's probably much harder if it's your one project and you put your whole you know life into it and yeah. then it doesn't go to plan but you you know you learn so much don't you along the way you just like we were saying all those things I believe are happening to get you to the point that you are at now 
Yeah, absolutely. Fairly way to greatness. That's what I say. If you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. You're not. You're in your comfort zone. So you know, <laughs> that's just life, isn't it? We fail. I fail every day. It's fantastic. <laughs> but no, it's all it's all good. So listen, we could chat all day, Emmy. But I am very conscious that you're a busy woman and you've got a lot going on. So you know, when you look back over all of the you know the years that you've had in terms of business, personal life, all the things you've been through, can you think of um, the best piece of advice? that you've been given or maybe something you've picked up along the way that's just kind of stayed with you and has, has sort of served you well shall we say mm. well I think the recent bit that I've learned is that your health and well-being is critical to success which no one prioritizes enough including me but if I'm thinking about the bit that maybe I learned from someone else so when I was selling the credit cards my first proper boss she was amazing she looked after her team and her staff so well she put us up in amazing hotels whenever we went away she paid us really well um quite different to like for example when you know I did a you know I've worked for corporates in the past and they put you up in you know just shit cheap hotels um so she really taught me like if you and, and also she gave me loads of responsibility as well so like if you really look after your staff and you value them your team then you know that that for me was just such an important learning and I really tried to do that in my agency and actually you know lots of people say you are one you know you're the best boss we've ever had a lot of them have gone on to set up their own businesses which I love you know they've seen the entrepreneurial spirit and they're doing really well um and yeah it's so that was really um a, a, a good piece of advice did you ask me about the bad piece of advice Go for no. it there. So you're, there's a yin to every You're already on this. Um, the bad piece of advice. Well, I just think the thing that I picked up that I really don't like about um, business, and I think it is changing, but like just that some people can be really arrogant. And unfortunately, that has to date come from a lot of men, um, older men who maybe like didn't understand what we were doing. And they would sort of tell us that, you know, I remember one of the guys that we were working with on our board, he just sort of looked at me and he said, Facebook's never going to take off. Um, you know, you're wrong. This is when we were running a digital agency and they're buying us. And then a year later, I went back and their biggest performing, biggest high revenue channel was Facebook, which was our, what our team were running. So, and, you know, like, I think bashing my head against a brick wall with, for example, telling these guys about the SEO and how they had to watch out for it and everyone just ignoring me. So I think it's it's probably what I would take from that is, you know, you've got to listen to other people, whatever their background, wherever they've come from, because lots of people have, have been through it. And you can't always be that person that thinks that you know everything. Um, you've got to be, you know, you've got to, you've got to be confident but you've also got to be humble and you've got to have empathy and you've got to listen to other people and listen to their experiences and I think um that's what I've seen that I don't kind of like in business which I really hope that I don't go down that route um so I think you know whether it's bad advice it's just doing things in a not in a great way I'm really and it's really interesting we're having a quick chat but like I feel like board diversity um, you know, as part of Female Founders Rise, we've got an advisory board. We've also got these advisory members that sort of sit underneath. And there's like lots of women, a couple of guys, people from all ages, backgrounds, different areas of the world. And it's almost like, you know, it's just the more people that you've got sharing views and being involved, I believe the better and the stronger. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's proven, isn't it? You know, diverse teams. Yeah, diverse- of course it is. But like, it's still... 
We're still making yeah. the bloody point, right? So we should. Yeah, still exactly. And unfortunately, I have seen that in the, you know, some of these. I know there's so many amazing supportive men who are like jumping on board a team of Hannah's wives. And I love that. But then unfortunately I've been in those boardrooms with people where I'm literally bashing my head against a brick wall. Sometimes they barely say hello to me and I'm the one, you know, doing the notes because I'm the woman and yeah, it's like, yeah, get yeah. with it guys. Exactly. Exactly. Now I've been in a few situations myself, shall we say over the years, but, um, Listen, I think, uh, thankfully, things are changing, but we've still got a long way to go. So I think the more that we can support each other and and like you say, you know, having having strong male advocates is absolutely essential. It's not about men being better or women being better. It's just, We're different. We bring something different to the party and let's be respectful of that and let's sort of honour each other's differences and honour each other's areas where we can be similar and, and kind of connect as well. So, no, I, I agree with you, Emmy. It's a, it's a worthy cause. And actually, if you think about it, 50% of you know, I say 50% of the world's population, if we could unlock the potential in those women to have the confidence to, you know, push forward, whether it's for their careers, their jobs, or something as simple in the, in the developing world as bringing water to a village or whatever it may be, imagine how much better everyone's lives are going to be. And I just think it's powerful stuff, right? So yeah, 100% with you, 100%. Mm. So, Emmy, where can people find you? Before I ask you my last question, where can people, obviously you're on LinkedIn. But yeah, LinkedIn. LinkedIn's the main thing. I try not to, you know, be on too many channels just because it's distracting. And, yeah, that's it. That's where I am, LinkedIn. But, you know, if you message me, you might get my out office. <laughs> <laughs> well, persevere, people. until you until Exactly, you persevere. Them. I do get around to reading nearly all of those messages and the ones that, you know, I, I can reply to, I do. So that is still the best place to find me. And I'm always on there posting about stuff so you can come and get involved in the conversation. And you can sign up to Female Founders Rise too if you want to get involved in that project and support women in, you know, any way. Yeah, fantastic. So whether you're a female founder yourself, whether you want to kind of be an investor, whether you want to be a mentor, whether you're just interested in the whole overall kind of content and connections, there's so many reasons for people to, to get on board, male and female. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think it's a great, a great space, Emmy. And I know you're gonna go from strength to strength. So listen, the last question, this podcast, Brave Bold Brilliant. What does that mean to you, Emmy? So I think brave and bold to me would be the same kind of thing, like being courageous, taking action, just doing it, being vulnerable, being okay to be vulnerable, being okay to fail. Those are all the sort of the brave and bold bits. Um, brilliant for me is shining your light and shining a light on others. I think that's the thing, like letting people see your brilliance. You know, we've all got our own things that we're great at. And I think I've really struggled to, you know, I did a post the other day saying like, I've been waiting for people to pick me. I've been waiting for people to realize how good I am. I've been waiting for people to see my light. And, you know, Female Founders Rise is all about like, I'm going to show my own light. I'm going to shine the light. I'm going to shine a light on others, but I'm going to pick myself. And I think that's about what being brilliant is. Oh, I love it. What the perfect way to end the podcast. Thank you so much. It's been amazing having you on, Emmy. We'll have to do a follow-up. As, as Yeah, I'd love to do that. I'd love to do that. And I'd love to chat to you more about what you're doing as well. But for today, it's been amazing. Thank you so much. <laughs> you're very welcome. You're very welcome. But thanks again. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I really hope you've enjoyed Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Don't forget to subscribe and share with all your friends. And if you've enjoyed listening, I'd love it if you'd leave me a five-star review.